I took a dark turn. Well, stood. No, yeah, I gotcha. Understood. Understood. If that is not just a joke, and you really are, man, we got some good stuff. Um, hey, so, shh, hey, from, from this time, like, serious, I, I know we, we've tried to do rules and stuff. We, we've tried to really have conversations. Hey, and seriously, it's like the same people who are just talking all the time. So I'm asking you, please, let's start the new year off right. Let's not uh, horseplay or just be in each other's ear. Let's not have conversations. Um, because anytime we get a chance to get into God's word, it's always important. Say, this is important. I don't want to miss this. You don't want to miss it. I promise you, you don't want to miss this. And you don't want to, to constantly be talking through it and all of that stuff because this is really, really important. So if you have been with us uh, over the past few months, uh, you know we're in this thing called the Bible Engagement Project. Uh, how many people have the app downloaded? Maybe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Hey, listen. Uh, another thing that we have on the back table there, um, you guys can figure out how to download it. It's got instructions. Get to the App Store on Android, iPhone, um, all that stuff, the Apple uh, Store and the Android, I guess it's Google Play, right? I don't have an Android, so not uncultured. Anyway, yeah, so Google Play, it's, all, it's both there. You just sign in. There's a couple things. We even have a YouTube. Shh, guys, do, am I going to have to separate you for real? Okay. I really don't want to have to. So, like, there's some really cool stuff. There's devotionals that you get to do that actually tie in with what we talk about on Wednesdays. So it's really, really cool. Please don't miss out on that um, and get that app. But we've been in this series called Lagos. What does Lagos mean? Huh? The word. The word. It is, it is the entirety of everything that encapsulates Scripture. It is, it is the word. You know, John... Uh, one one says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And a lot of times that makes no sense, but like it's really saying like this is true and will always be true and has always been true because God is who he says he is and he was. Uh, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever, and forever, and forever. So it's really cool. Um, enough for my plugs for the Bible engagement stuff. And uh, yeah, anyway. Um, before we get into scripture, if you guys are wanting to look, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 14. Um, we're going to actually go through the entirety of the chapter. So you guys can walk out tonight and say, I read an entire chapter of the Bible. So that's pretty cool. Um, so before we get into that, though, I want to ask a question. Have you guys, and maybe, maybe I'm just the only one, but have you guys ever been stuck between a rock and a hard place? Does that happen a lot? No? Yeah, maybe you're like, have you, how many people have never heard of that before? Never heard that expression? So like, if you have one situation that's bad, and you have another situation that's worse, and you kind of have to choose what you're going to do, does that ever happen? For, for example, for example, like maybe, have you ever gotten in trouble, but you're not home when you get in trouble? Like maybe it was like a text or a phone call or something? So you're not home. And you know you're going to get in trouble because you fought, like, with your parents or something. 
So you're not home, and you want to go home because it starts to get late. You're like, man, I really want to go home, but I don't want to get in trouble when I get home. So should I go home, or should I go home and get in trouble? Like, I don't know. And so you're like, or have you ever been caught in the middle of, like, two friend groups? (laughs) Like drama, like some serious drama. Like you get caught up, and you're like, yo, like, I don't know what to do. So then one friend group is like, hey, you should believe and trust in me and and you should come to my side. And the other group's like, no, they're wrong. You should trust me and believe me and come to my side. And you're like, ugh, ugh, ugh. It's like stuck in a rock in a hard place. Um, Just really quick, we in Kentucky, we uh, we had a, a, a winter ice storm. Knocked out all of the power that we had. I was uh, 10, 10 years old, 12 years old, something like that. And uh, we had this winter ice storm, knocked out all of the power. And so we had to stay with our uncle because my uncle was the only one with a fireplace at the time. But the only problem was my entire family on one side was in this house. So it's like no privacy, nothing. You, you, we lived there for like two or three days, four, four days, I think, max. And like... It was like, oh, I really don't like that situation. Do you guys like like your personal space? You like your rooms? You're like you, yeah, yeah. You guys live like, who who lives like in a basement like, and you have the whole basement? Is anybody like that? Maybe no, yeah, not yet. But like, I love my personal space. So I'm like sitting in this situation. I'm like, bruh, this is horrible. Like everybody's here. I got grandma always around. Like, come on now, this is crazy. Then. Because it knocked out all of the power, we had no heat in our house, but we had hot water. So we would go home, and we would shower, and then we would come back to the house with the fireplace. And I remember being like, I want to be home so bad. And then I took a shower. And it was hot water because the the pipes hadn't frozen yet, which was awesome. So we got to take hot showers and hot baths and all that stuff. Get out, and I'm not joking, in the house, I just stepped out, I could see my breath. I was like, mm-mm, this ain't fun. I like being home. I like my room. I like being in my bed, but like, mm-mm, no. But then I go back, and within a couple of hours, I'm like, well, this is terrible too. Like, I'm always around people. Sometimes being in a, uh, a, a rock and a hard place, being in between these two things can be really, really tricky in how you get out of them. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at a story uh, in, in Exodus chapter 14, uh, how many people are familiar with Exodus, right? Exodus is the story of who? Starts with a M, Moses. And Moses, get, he, he, who, who talks to Moses and calls a burning bush, people? God, but what does he use? A burning bush. Cool. So if you don't know, God uses this burning bush that doesn't burn up, so it just stays on fire, to actually speak to Moses. And he says, hey, you're going to go into Egypt where the Israelites are enslaved. Your people are enslaved. That ain't cool. And he says, hey, Moses, you're going to lead them. And so Moses says, I, I, I can't do that. So he's like, I'll bow out, whatever. Long story short, God is like, no, you're not. I'm going to use you. You're going to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, all this stuff. He says, I just need you to go talk to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh 
He goes, talks to the king, this is this Pharaoh. He's the king of Egypt. He's the king of Egypt, and he says, let my people go. And what does Pharaoh say? Uh-uh. So God says, all right, all right, Moses, I want you to, I'm going to empower you to bring about plagues upon Egypt. So there were ten plagues, and every time when Moses stopped one plague, he would go, let my people go. And they would go, no. And then crazy stuff like a bunch of frogs would come around the land. Could you imagine like waking up and there's a frog on your head? Or like, <laughs> or like you know, going to use the little girl's or little boy's room and, and there's a frog in your toilet bowl? Like, that's what they were dealing with. And then he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. So Moses stops that, that plague, but then there's stuff like rivers that turn to blood. Everybody smell, has anybody smelled like a lot of blood or, or smelled blood at all? It's like really gross. It's like irony and disgusting. So you could imagine if like all of the bodies of water turned into bl- to blood. And so he's like, surely they'll, they'll listen and let him go. Nope. Once, once Moses releases it and, and lifts it, Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not doing it. Finally, they get to a point where God says, okay, I want everybody, and this might get weird, but, but it's Old Testament, so it's okay. But God says, I want you to sacrifice a goat, and I want you to take the blood and put it on your doorpost. And there's going to be an angel of death that passes by. Everybody who has the, the, the blood on the, on the doorpost is going to be saved. Their firstborn are going to be saved. That's all you had to do. But then there were some people who didn't do that, so they lost their firstborn. One of those people was Pharaoh. How many people firstborns in here? You're the oldest. Come on now. I'm an oldest child too. So when I read that Sunday school story, I'm like, oh, please put, mom, would you put blood on the doorpost, please? I really don't want to be, t-. but it wasn't just, it wasn't just people. It was livestock. It was animals. It was all this stuff. So finally, finally, this angel of death passes over Pharaoh's house and actually kills the firstborn that Pharaoh was in charge of. And so finally, Pharaoh's like, fine, get out of here. So he releases the Israelites from slavery. He releases them. He's like, fine, get out of here. I don't want you anymore. But when they finally leave, God didn't let Moses and the Israelites take the easiest route to the promised land that they were promised. A lot of times it's like easiest, uh, what is it, the easiest way to get from point A to point B is like the straightest line or whatever. It's not really the route that God placed Moses and the Israelites because if they went straight through, there was, there was the, uh, a, a people group called the Philistines. And the Philistines and the Israelites did not get along. You guys know David and Goliath? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, this is Israel and yes. So he's like, I don't want them to run back because if it's easy to get in, and there's a war or a conflict, they're going to just run back to Egypt and go, hey, put us back in slavery, we're, we're cool with it, and then they'll run back. So he actually took them on a route that made it hard for them to go back and turn back. God led them by a pillar of what? By day? By day? A cloud and a pillar of fire by night. So let's go ahead and let's get in this. That's just the background so that you guys can understand. It's always nice to understand 
what you're reading. You don't want to just jump in. It's true. It's true. All right. So no talking, no commentaries, no nothing like that. We're just going to read. Um, if It's on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but I would encourage you, read, read, your own, read from your own Bible, man. It's, it's really, really important. So this is what it says. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites and turn back and encamp near, anybody want to pronounce this? <laughs> anybody want to pronounce that? Pi. Piahirath, Piahirath, okay? Piahirath between Migdal and the sea. And they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite of Baal Zephon. And Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion and they're hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. You see, I just lost myself. Whoops. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. That's important. If you have like a physical Bible and you highlight, man, highlight that. It's good. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Sure enough, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, Yo, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and we've lost their services. And so he had a, his chariot made ready and he took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with the other chariots of Egypt with officers all over them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. And the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped near. Yeah, we're getting there. Opposite of Baal, Zephon. And as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there was the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. This is what it said. I'm almost finished with this section. It says, they said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. And this is really sad, actually. Because they say it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So they start mocking Moses. And they're like, what are we doing? So what happens, let's just break this down. You see, Pharaoh, he let his slaves go. And this isn't like a few. Do you want to know how big Israel was when they left Egypt? Anybody want to take a crack? Yeah. Huh? 140,000? Mm. Huh? A few million. Yeah? 5,000? Actually, my man over here is actually right, yo. It was anywhere from two to four million people. Yo, to put it in perspective, 
that's like taking Phoenix and taking Tucson and rounding them up and then walking. <laughs> Yo, that's a lot of people. And so when you lose that many slaves because they were building the architecture and doing all of this stuff that Egypt is known for, right? And he says, oh, wait, I just let them go? No, wait, we need to go back and get them. And Pharaoh, it says he, that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart because of his low opinion of them and their God. He was like, they don't know what they're doing. They're lost. They're out in the wilderness somewhere. The Egyptians realized that they lost their slaves, and they were like, hey, we have, like, the best army in the world, so let's go get them. Even if we don't get all of them back, we can get some of them and come back, and we'll have our, everything good? Okay. This is the last time, okay? Then I will separate you guys. But, like, he, <laughs> he's like, wait a minute. We can go get a few of them, so let's go. Let's take our chariots. Let's go, and let's go get them. You see... To people on foot, if you were like walking like the Israelites were, and you heard 600 chariots, that would be the modern day equivalent of like tanks. So imagine 600 tanks coming at you, and you, all, all you are doing is walking through the desert somewhere. You have all these tanks, right? <laughs> like you're defenseless completely. But the cool thing about it, the cool thing about it is that the Israelites walked with boldness because they knew that God had provided for them because they walked away with all of the valuables. Not only did Pharaoh leave um, and let the Israelites leave, but he actually gave them a bunch of valuable stuff that they could have so that they would be well off. And they knew that God had blessed them for that. So even so, in this section, it changes here in like verse 10 the, the, the perspective changes from Pharaoh and the I Egyptians to the Israelites because they look behind them and they see a bunch of Egyptians <laughs> coming at them with, like, tanks. So they start getting freaked out. So they began to mock Moses. That's what they were saying when they were saying, isn't it better for us to go into Egypt? Like, why did you lead us here just to die? You let us in the desert, and you let us out of slavery just so you could kill us by the Egyptians who were coming after us again. So thanks a lot, Moses. They start mocking him. You see, here's the cool thing about it, this whole story, though. And this is the first point, so if you have notes, you can write this down. But I want you to realize that circumstances can be deceiving. Say that with me. Say circumstances can be deceiving, deceiving. Circumstances can be deceiving because in, that, in this first section of this story, in the eyes of Pharaoh, he was like, dude, we got them. Let's go after them. Let's go get them. We'll bring them back like they're lost, whatever. We're going to go grab these guys, and we're going to go get them and bring them back. We have the best army in the world. These guys were the, the world superpower at the time. They were like, we can, it's going to be cakewalk. Let's go do this thing. And then in the, Israel, the eyes of the Israelites, when they see the Egyptians coming at them, they're doomed. They are like, dude, we're going to die. Like, all of us are going to die. They're coming. They're angry. They're mad. God told us to camp out by a sea. So now we have a sea to our back, and we have 600 tanks and chariots coming at us from the front. 
How many people know that's a rock and a hard place? When you have your back to a sea and you have a bunch of people coming to kill you. But what we're about to see here is that circumstances can deceive us into thinking that we have control and power. Or they can deceive us into thinking that we're hopeless and we're in despair. So we're about to read that. But before we do, can I tell a story? I like telling stories sometimes. But go ahead and throw this picture up. It's really embarrassing, but I thought it'd be fun. It's the next slide. It's got, the, it's got a little picture in it. This is 12-year-old um, Josh. Don't, don't make fun of me. How many 12-year-olds we got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like your age, right? Okay, so this is, uh, this is 2009. I'm like 12 years old. Oh, Y'all going to make me feel old now. Listen, <laughs> so I'm 12 years old. And, um, yeah, this is me at the Battle of the Gridiron Madden GameStop tournament. And look at me sporting my Tom Brady jersey and for some reason a New York Yankees. I don't, I don't get it. Isaiah, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry for betraying. I don't know what I was doing. Plus, that jersey is really beat up and worn out. Anyway, so I'm 12 years old. Um, and I go to this Madden tournament because I used to be really good at Madden. I'm not so good anymore, but I used to be, like, really good. And so I go to this tournament. My dad takes me because I'm 12. And so we go. We register. I had, like, just meet, uh, met the, the, the deadline, like, by a month or so. So I'm, like, barely old enough to enter into this tournament. And everybody else who's there are just a bunch of grown men. It's just a bunch of adults. <laughs> so you have... All these adults, I mean, you can see it was a pretty big tournament. You have all these adults, and then you have 12-year-old Josh <laughs> with his Tom Brady beaten-up jersey and his weird New York Yankee. I don't get it. Anyway, so when I walked up and I started uh, signing in and registering and doing all that stuff, hey, could you guys pay attention? Thanks. So I, I register, and I get everything, and all of these guys are dogging me, dude. They're like, you, whatever, who let the kid, aren't you in school? Like, come on, it was a Saturday, but I don't know what, like, they're like, why, why aren't you in school? Like, your daddy brought you? I'm like, yeah, because I'm 12, like, what? And so the dude, the dude who, who talked so much stuff and so much smack to me, right, was the dude who I played in the first round. Oh, yeah. So what's hilarious is this GameStop tournament was really cool. Because we, uh, we got to play, like, in the middle of the mall. So people are walking by, and they're like, oh, video. Oh, cool. So they're, like, watching and stuff. And so, y'all, I destroyed this dude. I beat him so bad, they called mercy. It was 35 to nothing. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. You can give me a hit. Y'all. And it felt so good. And, and guess what? The funniest part was. The funniest part about that was nobody talked any more smack the rest of the time. And I actually qualified to go on to the next round. I didn't do it because it was like an hour or two away. And my dad's like, not for video games. I'm not going to do it. But it's whatever. You can win $4 million on Fortnite now. So joke's on him, dad. Anyway, <laughs> I'm joking. So, but here's, here's, here's the cool thing. Here, here, here's the cool thing. To these grown men, I was just a kid who was going to come in and just, like, lose, and that was going to be it, and I was just here for fun. 
And honestly, to me, I'm 12 years old playing a bunch of grown men. I thought I was going to get, like, destroyed. But what happened was completely different than what either one of us had, had thought was going to go on. So let's go ahead and read, continue to read real quick. Um, verse 13 through 20. Again, like I said, we're going to read this whole thing, but it's good, I promise. All right, so this is what it says in, in verse 13. It says, Moses answered the people, so they just mocked him. They're like, you drove us out here to kill us, so thanks. And Moses said, he answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The deliverance of the Lord he will bring today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. That's a bit drastic, but we're about to find out why he said that. He said, you're never going to see them again. The Lord will fight for you, and you need only to be still. You only need to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Again, I've said this before. If you don't think the Bible is hilarious, like, that's, that's funny. I, I don't, he's like, why are you crying to me? Just move. I told you to go, so go. And so Moses is like, okay. The Lord said, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And the hearts of the Egyptians, uh, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go after them. My Bible keeps slipping up on me. They will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army. There it is again. Through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. Again, anytime, just so you know, anytime something's repeated, like right after it, like, it's basically like saying, listen, this is what's going to happen. Like, it's important. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, right, this pillar of, cl uh, of cloud, this pillar of fire, it went from the front, and it also moved and stood behind them. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel, throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. Guys, this is a really cool part of this story too, because we see in this section of it that yes, circumstances can be deceiving, right? You might think that you're in a position of, of power and you're good, or you might think that you're just, you know, just in despair and you're bad, but here's the cool part. When God moves, we don't have to worry and we don't have to fear. Everybody say, when God moves, we don't have to worry or fear. We don't have to worry or fear. It's so cool. Do you guys uh, remember in, uh, if you read, you know, your Bible on a regular basis, you guys know what, um, what God told Moses? What? Not to be afraid and to be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. That's pretty much the same thing he's telling Moses and the Israelites here. And Moses was pretty, like, hot-headed, too. It's a calm response for somebody who, like, got mad and killed a dude. Like, that's what Moses did. He had a temper like nobody, he had a temper like nobody's business. 
And here he is just being like, hey, calm down. It's going to be okay. It's so cool that all we have to do is be still and stay inactive for God to win the victory. And then in this section, what we just read, the Lord is explaining and he's saying, hey, this is what I want you to do. And this is what I'm going to do while you do what I'm telling you to do. I'm going to work. You're going to move. We're going to make this thing work. And then he takes this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire, and he moves it from the front to the back so that the people who were pursuing them, the Egyptians, couldn't break in and couldn't break through what God was placing a barrier there. They could not do it. One side was dark. One side was light. Nobody was able to get in in tune with each other. When God shows up in our situations, in our circumstances, sometimes we look at them and we're like, man, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. But when God moves and when God starts to work, there is something that happens where we just have no excuse to follow, not to follow him, not to follow in what he's saying. He's like, listen, if you don't believe that I have your back, I will literally go from the front to the back and have your back. Like, I promise you. It's pretty cool to know that sometimes we don't even have to do anything. They just kept moving forward the way that God told them to. They weren't doing anything special. They didn't have to march around Jericho. They didn't have to do anything other than just step forward, do what God was telling them to do. Sometimes, sometimes, and this might not sound very smart, sometimes the best thing you can do in your situation If you have your back up against the wall, you're in between a rock and a hard place, is just trust God and let him work. And that takes patience, and that takes uh, just trusting him. But even outside of just trusting him and believing in him, we have to actually step out in obedience and say, yeah, I am going to do that. Because the people in the back on the Israelites, they could have just said, hey, I, uh, no, no, no. Like, we're just going to go to battle. (laughs) But they didn't. They acted in obedience. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just rest and remain in God and allow him to fight the battle for us. Here, we're going to close up here really quickly. I'm going to read this last little bit. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. Y'all, God parted the Red Sea. This is like a massive, massive sea. The Egyptians pursued them, and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the clouds and threw it into confusion. And he jammed the wheels of the chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. And Moses did that very thing. I'm just going to skip down to 28. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. 
and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the, the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and left. Guys, it, it also it ends by saying this. The day, of the, the day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore, and when Israel saw the mighty hand of God displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. Not like a fear of, like, I'm scared, but, like, I respect it, and, and I'm going to worship you for it. They feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses, his servant. Guys, the thing that we get to learn from this story, I know we read a lot. I promise we won't do that every time, but I just felt like it was important to know. Because in this whole story that happens in chapter 14, we know that in the end, God wins. Guys, that's really, really good news. God wins. Not only did he hold back the sea, not only did he allow them to go through on dry land, which is a provision and a miracle in and of itself, he also protected them from the Israelites on the back end. Shh. I want to close up real quick. The, oh, my bad. Maybe I said that wrong. The Lord protected the Israelites from the Egyptians. Check this out, though. When we get stuck, just like the Israelites were, you can get stuck between a rock and a hard place. And a lot of times, you could be like the, the Israelites, and you can look at the Egyptians coming at you, and you're like, that's a big problem. God, we need you to take care of that problem. Go fix that problem. <laughs> and not even see and know and understand what God is also doing on the other side of it as well. If you're caught in a rock and a hard place, if you're caught in a situation or a circumstance that is really, really difficult, maybe you've only been praying to God for one of those circumstances to, to end. But God is saying, actually, I want to work in both. Maybe Maybe you're like, hey, God, I, I feel like really isolated because I'm not at school and I really want my friends back and I really want this. Meanwhile, you're getting pushed back into not doing your work and not doing, you know, you're behind in school and all of this stuff. And you're lo so focused on this and you're scared about it and you're worried about it. God wants to work in that, but he also wants to give you a miracle and a blessing of being able to do schoolwork, being able to do that. I know that's kind of a mundane example. But no matter what the circumstances, when God moves, we don't have to worry or fear because he wins every single time. The way that this chapter closes, as I, as I kind of close, the way, that, the way that this chapter closes is with God making himself glorified and with Moses, with Moses being established as the true leader. If you guys just want to bow your heads and close your eyes. My question to you is you kind of reflect on this. I, guys, I know it's a lot of scripture. I know there's a lot here. But it's important stuff. And, and I really wanted to be able to share it. 
because it, it encapsulates the whole story. There's so much here. My question to you is this. Do you trust that God is who he says he is? Do you trust that he's going to take care of both the situations on your front and on your back, all of the stuff that seems like it's closing in? And if you are, are you willing to hold on to him even in the last minute? I mean, the Egyptians were so close that they were able to see them and they were like, this is bad news. You see, God wants you to trust him and God wants you to believe in him. And not only just, I believe you're, you know, I believe you're, you are who you say you are. We'll have a time for that. But, but God is not just wanting that. He's not wanting us to simply believe that he is the old man with the gray beard and the, you know, the smock, the tunic. Like a Zeus figure. He, he's not saying believe in me like that. He's saying, do you trust me with the things that are going on in your life? He wants you to trust him with the situations and the circumstances that we face. He wants to be able to work and move, but we have to let him. So with every uh, head bowed, every eye closed, just to focus in. If tonight, if you would say, you know what, I've really been focused on one really big issue, and there's actually a ton of things that are going on right now. If you're like, I, I don't want God to just work in this one situation. I need him to work in a bunch. I need him to provide a bunch of miracles in my life. I don't need just one. If you're in a situation where you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, would you just please raise your hand? Just be honest and say, man, I am stuck. And, and I want God to really move in these situations. He wants to. And he sees that faithfulness. Thank you. Tonight, maybe you're like, I, I, I need to do that simple belief in him. I need to have that simple belief. I don't even know who this God thing is. I don't even know. I just want to believe in him. God sent his son, fully God and fully man, to die on a cross for your sins. That pillar of cloud and pillar of fire is actually a representation of salvation. That we get to enter into this, this the, the, the amazing bliss of, of the presence of God. Or, or we could perish. I know it's not the nicest way to, to end, but it's, it's true. So if tonight you're saying, I don't even know if I've made that decision to follow after God, but I want to tonight. If that's you, would you please just raise your hand? I want to follow God. I want to make that decision tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Good. That's good. Tonight, if you would say, I just need to trust him more. Just in general. And this is the last thing, and then we'll pray. I just need to trust him more. Come on. It's good. It's good. There's a lot here. Let me just pray. Father, we, we do, we look to you and we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who cares up deeply about the situations that we're in. Lord, we could be caught in a lot of messy things. 
But Father, we know that you don't want to just work once in our life and it's like, okay, you're done. I've, I've worked and I'm moved and I'm done now. Father, you want to continually work. You want to continually move in our lives so that we can glorify you. Because in the end, that was this whole story was watch how I'm going to get the glory. Father, we, we do. We look to give you glory in every situation. Father, but it takes our trust and it takes our obedience to trust that you actually have our backs. Father, I pray that each student would know how much you care about them, how much you love them, how much you want to work and move in their life. And I pray that they would surrender everything to you. Lord, so that you can get the glory in the end. We thank you. Father, I ask that as we enter in this time of worship again, that you would just uh, cause our hearts to be receptive, to listen to your voice and to hear you speak. Father, let us, what better way to, to close out a night than to just enter into your presence and worship you. Father, we thank you for that opportunity. We love you. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, so we're going to go into a time of worship now. If you're already still zoned out, listen, I wish you wouldn't be. 